on a day when gifts and treasure are the main topic of conversation, it is good to be reminded that we are blessed with the gift of a wonderful music ministry in this church, both in our bells as well as in the collected voices, and we give particular thanks to Rhonda Hambright and Suzanne Morrison for their leadership of that strong ministry in our presence. There's a word that is sometimes batted around in Presbyterian churches. The word is providential. We tend to follow the lectionary in our church, which is this tool that groups together scripture passages for each week to guide a congregation like ours in worship. And I would say today that it is providential what the lectionary has given us for a gospel reading. Friends, let us hear this story of a person with great means who is invited to give it all away. Hearing these verses from the 10th chapter of Mark's gospel, beginning with the 17th verse. Let us continue now to listen for a word from God. Now, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And after all, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Jesus looked at this man on his knees and he loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed than they said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them, and he said to them, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you, he said. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes and brothers and sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first 
will be last, and the last will be first. Friends, these two are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our sermon today is titled, The Gospel for the Person Who Has Everything. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we have so much, and yet we feel as if we have so little. Fill us this day, O God, through the words of my mouth and the meditations of our gathered hearts, that what we say and what we pray and what we do may be pleasing in your sight. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some years ago, Will Willimon a bishop in the United Methodist Church and currently a professor of Christian practice at Duke Divinity School, wrote a book with the rather intriguing title, The Gospel for the Person Who Has Everything. Willimon recounts at the outset of the book how it is not uncommon in his tradition for people or a person during worship to come forward and to share their personal testimony. The struggle that he had with these testimonies was that over the years, Willimon began to identify a sort of common formula that many of them followed. He writes how One person would come forward and inevitably a next and their stories would sound so similar. They would start with how miserable they had been, how guilt-ridden their lives had been, how they had tried everything and yet nothing seemed to work until they found Jesus. And once they found Jesus, their life has suddenly been full of joy and happiness. Now, Wilmon's point is not to demean or to set aside these testimonies, because surely there are many of these testimonies even here today. And there's also plenty of biblical precedents for a testimony like that. The Gospels, after all, are full of stories of Jesus going towards the suffering, going towards the hurting, the outcasts, the grieving. And yet, he wonders, is that really the only way God works? What about those people whose stories are perhaps more subtle, more mundane? Is it possible, he wonders, to testify saying something like this, I was happy and fulfilled to begin with. Each day was sheer joy for me. Life was a shower of blessings. I had everything, in other words. 
And then Jesus came into my life and showed me how much greater joy life could still be when I rose above my selfish pursuit of my own happiness and the preoccupation with my own problems. Could someone come to the microphone and testify saying that in losing my life for others and for Jesus and his work and using those blessings that shower down upon me each day for something greater than myself, I finally found life. True life. Is that not the story of the rich young man in the 10th chapter of Mark's gospel? Here is this person who is already seemingly happy and fulfilled. He is a person, the text tells us, who has followed all the rules since childhood. He's been going to church from the very day he was born. He's the person who's face can be found in those VBS photos that some churches have that fill the walls. You can go back decades and see his face when it was a young child, and you can follow it each year until that summer, his senior year of college, when he gave up one more week to come and volunteer with those kids. He's a good person. He is this person, too, who happens to have material means. A person of great wealth, Mark tells us. He is someone, in other words, who has everything, who comes seeking the gospel, asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I still remember this question that I had to answer as part of my ordination process to become a minister of word and sacrament. You have to fill out paperwork and submit to these oral evaluations, but it was a written question that really stopped me in my tracks. At the surface, it's a simple question. All it asked was for me to provide a statement of self-understanding, which reflects, it said, your personal and cultural background. It took me a long time to find the words to put on paper. Part of it, I wonder, may be due to the fact that I had already spent a year plus in seminary. I'd been surrounded by these remarkable people, many of whom have remarkable stories. People who had overcome discrimination because of their skin color and the civil rights and were coming to seminary in their 60s and 70s. People who had overcome questions about their integrity, their ability to serve because of who they love or what they look like or where they come from. This question posed to me came in the midst of all of this because I reflected on my own life and my own life was one of relative safety and happiness. I grew up in the safe confines of Midwestern suburbia. I grew up in a family that was not extravagantly rich, but nor were we by any standards poor. I was the kid who went to church every Sunday 
And for whatever crazy reason, when I graduated from high school, I was the weird kid who kept going to church every Sunday in college. I was the person whose life was largely not that hard. Yes, there had been struggles. Yes, there had been doubts. But when I looked at it as a whole, I saw before me a life of someone who really seemed to have everything. And when I faced this question on this form, I was suddenly left asking the same question as this rich young man. What does the gospel say to me? What does the gospel perhaps say to some of you who maybe share a similar story? What does the gospel say to someone who has everything? I want to pause here for a second and try to explain a little bit better what I mean when I say someone who has everything. I want to start by saying what I don't mean. When I say someone who has everything, I do not mean someone who has the same story as me. I do not mean that someone who has happiness and joy in life is any better than any other person. I do not mean that we all here are rich materially or spiritually. I do not mean that any one of us has lived a life free of hardship and pain or that we are somehow a community that is absent of doubt and struggle and sin. I certainly do not mean that we are perfect because if we claim to be perfect, the truth is not in us. But folks, we are largely a people and a church who has everything. What I mean by that is that we are a church full of people who by the rest of the world's standards are awfully wealthy, each and every one. I do mean that we here are part of a denomination that is per capita one of the most affluent and highly educated. We have more degrees per person in the Presbyterian Church than any other denomination in our country. We are part of this tradition that is the most affluent and highly educated nearly anywhere in the world. If you reach back through history, you'll find more presidents and senators and lawmakers with the title Presbyterian by their name. You can go out and find universities like Davidson and Princeton that were born from Presbyterian churches and leaders, hospitals too. When I say that we are a church and a people who have everything, I do mean that we are a church that is blessed. We are blessed here financially. We are blessed here with our facilities. We are blessed most of all with the people who make this church, church. And because of that, I do mean that we are a congregation. We are a people who are looked to as being leaders in both our presbytery and our community. Look around. Everyone's face in this room constitutes the largest gathering of Presbyterians in a 40-county area of southeast Georgia and coastal Georgia. We're a leadership church here, folks. We are one of these rare churches that is growing. 
We have added to our worship attendance every single year for the last four years. We have people who are coming towards us wanting to join and be a part of this community of faith. People and organizations in our county as well look to us, St. Simon's Presbyterian Church, as a community of faith that is generous with its time, with its talent, with its resources. We are, in other words, a people and a church who by most measures have everything. We have time. We have talent. We have resources. And yet, Jesus says, if we sit upon these gifts, if we hoard them for ourselves, if we cannot imagine there being anything greater than what we have right now, then there is still one thing that we lack. Sell it all, Jesus says. Give it away. What are we doing reading this text on a capital campaign Sunday? We must be crazy. You know, there are two ways, I think, to hear that instruction. To hear Jesus' words to the rich young man telling him to sell it all, to give it away. We can hear that as a rule as another command, as another requirement to be a good, Christian, faithful person. I think that's how that young man in Mark's story hears it. And here's the thing, it is a rule, folks. And it is one that many of us, myself included, could probably do a little bit better at abiding. I love what Will Wilmon writes on this point. He points out that, you know, many strong persons, which is another word in his writing for wealthy, because they have resources to handle more of the everyday problems which bedevil those who do not, they think that they have the strength to handle every problem. This, I think, he continues, is why Jesus said that it was as difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God as for an elephant to be comfortable in a Toyota. Only Willimon can think of something like that. It's that hard because the rich who can solve most of life's nitty-gritty problems through their checkbooks delude themselves into thinking that they can solve all of life's difficulties in this manner. The poor, he wonders, maybe the poor are blessed not because material or spiritual poverty makes life more fun, but because they are more likely to catch on to the fact of our basic dependency on a gracious God. We can hear this instruction from Jesus as a rule, and it is a rule. But I think we can also hear it as an invitation. What if Jesus is inviting us to discover how much joy there is yet to be had in this life by living a life of generosity, using all of our blessings, all of our gifts, all of our God-given strengths and their infinite varieties for others, for causes that point to a love and to a purpose that is far greater 
than any one of ours alone. What if it's an invitation as well as a rule? Preparing for today, I came across these words of Henry Nouwen. Nouwen, you'll recall, was a 20th century Dutch Catholic priest. He wrote a small little book on Christian stewardship, and I came across different clips from that book that I was reading this past week. I included one on the back of our bulletin today, but there was another as well. Nowen once said this, he had to do a lot of fundraising in his life for the ministry that he ran for adults with disabilities. Nowen once said, you know, I ask for money standing up. I ask for money standing up, not bowing down, because I believe in what I'm about. I believe that I have something important to offer. Gosh, I love that image. I ask for money standing up. I wonder if that's the one thing that this rich young man really lacks in this story. The ability to stand up. So bowed over is he by the weight of his wealth and his gifts and his blessings from God that he lacks the ability to understand that the only way to see the life that is right in front of him, I mean, Jesus Christ himself, folks, the only way to stand back up and see the life that is right in front of him is to give away some of those gifts to lighten the load a bit, if you will. Friends, you know, I think that is the invitation for us today. That is the challenge of the gospel for people like us, people who have everything. The challenge is to rise above simply pursuing our own happiness and to do it by giving away our wealth and our gifts so that every person we encounter in this life, individually and through the churches to which we belong, will grow taller and stronger. The invitation for people who have everything is to begin seeing things like a heart and soul campaign or stewardship in general, as being not about growing in heart and soul for ourselves, but rather growing in heart and soul for the world beyond us, about crafting spaces and ministries that will long outlive us, that will inspire and comfort and heal, that will move and feed and serve all of God's children in this community and places far from here for generations to come. The challenge of the gospel for people who have everything is to stand up and to recognize that because our true treasure is in heaven, we are free to follow the one who was so full of power. The one who was so full of power that he was free to be carefree with it. The one who lived his life to give it away, the one who emptied himself in love 
for the world around him. Mm. Friends, if we are the rich young man in this story, what is Jesus asking of us? What is Jesus asking of you on this day of all days? Maybe Jesus is asking us to sell away some of our wealth, to give away some of our money. Maybe there is someone in worship today who's been thinking about giving a leadership gift to this campaign, but they just haven't quite been able to get there. I'm here to tell you I will come and stand up in front of you Because I believe in this church. I believe, more importantly, though, in the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ. Maybe God is asking us to give some more of our money today. Or maybe God is asking us to give, dig deep and give anything at all. Maybe today the challenge for us here, people who have everything we could possibly need, is to give more of our time. Maybe you're like me, and when people ask how it's going, I typically respond, so busy, so busy. Maybe Jesus is asking us to get busy with ministries for and with people rather than simply being busy for the sake of being busy. To use our gifts, our gifts that perhaps form our paychecks, to use them every once in a while in service to others for no money at all. Maybe Jesus is asking something else of us when he says to give it all away today. Maybe he's asking us to give more presence to those people or those situations we've been running from or ignoring. Maybe Jesus is asking us to give a bit more vulnerability, to be a bit more honest, to show a bit more compassion. Whatever it is, he says, go. Not tomorrow, right now. Sell it. Give it away. Do it not with a sense of sadness or obligation, but do it with joy and gratitude. Stand up, in other words, and then come. And follow me. That's the saddest part of this story for me. At the end of the part that talks about this rich young man, it says his face falls and he goes away sad. Friends, Jesus is inviting us to come and follow right now, today. Will we be sad if we say yes? Or will we rejoice? Will we stand tall and follow Jesus to the life that he wants to lead? For the sake of our church, for the sake of our community, for the sake of our world, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, may we rejoice. In the name of the Father, 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.